Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks. Today is Mailbag Monday, July 6th, 2020. I am your host, Jack Bushman. I hope you all had a terrific 4th of July weekend filled with friends, family, burgers, and beer. As always, be sure to subscribe to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. You'll be able to get the latest episode of Lockdown Blackhawks as soon as it comes out each day, so make sure to go do that. Also, please go follow the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter page, which can be found at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks, as some good stuff will be posted there daily as well. By the way, today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Make sure to check it out and tell them the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. Today we are going to start off with a discussion about the latest news from this weekend regarding the NHL's potential 2014 postseason. Now, if you tuned into Friday's episode, then you heard about some of the dates that have been set for the return to play plan. Now we get a little bit more about it all with some of the details coming out about how it will all work. So, our latest information, as always, was provided by TSN's Bob McKenzie, who, by the way has been just terrific during these last couple of months with no on-ice news to talk about, but he always seems to provide updates of what's going on with the league and whatnot, so I can't say enough about how awesome Bob McKenzie has been during these tough times. But anyways, the latest news that McKenzie provided us with was how the NHL plans to operate their secure bubbles in both Toronto and Edmonton. So, at the moment... We are waiting for the Phase 3 and Phase 4 protocols and the CBA extension to be agreed upon. Then, once that occurs, there will be a full vote of everything coming from the players sometime later that week. At the moment, what we know is that each team will be permitted to bring a maximum of 52 individuals inside the secure zone, including ownership, executives, players, coaches, and staff. Teams are permitted to bring no more than 31 players, and a list of everyone traveling must be submitted to the NHL by July 13th, when training camps are supposed to begin. As for testing, every person inside the NHL's bubbles will be tested for COVID-19 daily via nasal swab, which looks horrible, by the way. Uh, But the major concern here is that with 24 teams inside the bubble, that is 1,248 tests per day with just the team personnel only, not including the other levels of personnel the NHL will provide themselves. So, probably 2,000 tests a day or so, which a lot of people are saying right now could be used in a lot better manner throughout the country, which (laughs) I certainly hear. It's also worth noting that at any time before or during play in the postseason, the NHL or NHLPA can delay or cancel any games because of safety precautions. So, if there is an outbreak at some point, There could be a stoppage for a bit of time, which I think would kill a lot of momentum and would be a gigantic disaster personally, so hopefully we don't get there, but we'll see. There is also an opt-out clause involved in this agreement, which says that any player may choose to not participate in the tournament for any reason without penalty. The deadline to opt-out will be three days after the return-to-play vote takes place, so it sure sounds like that vote will be taking place here sometime this week. As for how everything else will all work in the bubble, the league says that each bubble will have players living in rooms with no roommates, tightly secured, where no one will be able to enter or exit. There will be uh, single occupancy rooms, as I just said, 
with each team uh, assigned to designated floors, which could make things interesting at some point along the way. Like, imagine if, per se, the Calgary Flames and Edmonton Oilers are, like, living one floor apart from each other, two teams that have really bad blood. That could make for some interesting story along the ways. I, I hope. I don't know. That could be, could be kind of cool. Um, but the hotels where the players are staying at, they will have open bars and restaurants, provided that social distancing is followed, which I hope they do strictly follow for everyone involved's sake. Uh, players will have access to the gym and pool as well. And the league apparently is also trying to set up select excursions, such as like tea times at a local golf course and whatnot, to help keep the players sane and give them something to do other than hockey and eat and lay around in their hotels. Some other interesting news as well here is that the players' immediate families, such as their spouses slash significant others and children only, will be permitted to join the NHL's bubble, but only during the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final. So for the first for uh, first the play-in series and the first two rounds, players will go without their families, and that could be for potentially up to five weeks, which is quite unfortunate. But the NHL did recognize this tough situation they could be putting on the players and their families. So it's good to hear that they will be offering family assistance at home by providing grocery delivery and errand delivery services so that the families will be able, or the spouses or significant others, will be able to stay home with their families and whatnot while uh, their husbands will be off playing hockey for potentially uh, a month, a month and a half almost. All transportations to the ranks will be provided as expected, and masks are mandatory at all times, except while on the ice, while exercising, or while eating slash drinking. Coaches are not required to wear masks on the bench, probably so that they'll be able to be heard by the players, and the same goes with the on-ice officials. As for positive tests during the postseason, any person inside the bubble who tests positive will be immediately isolated. A second uh, confirmatory test will be then administered, and if that comes back positive, then that person will be instructed to isolate until further medical clearance is administrated. Or ad administrated, ad administered. And even if that second test comes back negative, that person will remain isolated and then will be tested again. 24 hours later, and only another negative test will allow that player to leave isolation. An asymptomatic positive, as they called it here in this article, will be allowed to rejoin after two consecutive negative tests over a 48-hour period or after 10 days of passage and isolation. Then, a symptomatic positive will be able to rejoin after symptoms are gone after a minimum of 72 hours, provided that the person was self-isolated for a minimum of 10 days since the onset of the symptoms. So, NHL taking clear precaution there for anyone that does test positive or anyone that even has a false positive, they'll have to remain in isolation for at least 24 hours. The final news released uh, that I'll mention about all of this here <laughs> is that there is going to be some really drastic cleaning procedures in place to ensure that everyone is safe. I thought these were kind of over the top, but obviously that's what the NHL has to do during uh, this situation. So, between every period during the games, each bench area must be disinfected, including the flooring, the bench surface, the top of all the dasher boards, and the top of the water bottle area. 
Players will also have their water bottles separated by vertical dividers, but I think the tough part of all that will be making sure that in the heat of the moment in a postseason game that each player is still going to be drinking out of the correct bottle because that's, you know, you kind of figure that's the last thing on their mind there at that point. And then all locker rooms, team spaces, and floor areas will also be disinfected daily, which, you know, there's supposed to be like four or five games, I think, played per day. So that's a whole lot of cleaning of the locker rooms and the benches in between periods, the floors and everything. Um, But it, it sure does sound like the NHL is doing their best to make sure that everything around the players and the coaches will be sanitary at all times. And as I just said, that's exactly what needs to happen if uh, this risky uh, potential 24-team postseason does go through. Some of the latest news regarding uh, voluntary training camps around the NHL that we heard this weekend, some bad news here, was that the St. Louis Blues were forced to shut down their practice facility on Friday after multiple tests of COVID-19 came from the team. So, another step in the wrong direction here for both the NHL and the return of professional sports in North America as a whole. The names of the Blues players were not released in this scenario, unlike Austin Matthews. And also, that brings me back to something that I quickly want to mention that I almost forgot here, um, is that any player that does test positive during this 2014 postseason does not have to be named. But, I mean, like, if Patrick Kane or Jonathan Tays or some other significant player from another team just randomly doesn't dress for a game after not, like, suffering anything that could even look like an injury, then everyone is going to know why they're sitting out most likely. So, I mean, I get the logic behind the NHL stating they don't want to come out and just throw the player under the bus, but I'm not sure that it'll do any good. (laughs) So there you have it, guys. I think that's all of the latest news we have from the weekend surrounding the NHL's return to play plan and the NHL's 2014 postseason. Now I think that will take us to our Mailbag Monday segment, where I take a few minutes to answer a couple of questions from a few of you lucky listeners out there. But first, I need to talk about rockauto.com, the best place to shop for all your auto and body needs. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. Visit rockauto.com and tell them the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. That's rockauto.com for an amazing selection and reliably low prices. Listen, we've all had our share car problems in the past. How much easier is it when you have an auto and body shop that you can rely on? Well, rockauto.com has your back for all the car parts you will ever need in any situation. One more time, check out rockauto.com for reliably low prices and an amazing selection, and make sure to let them know the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. rockauto.com, an auto and body shop that you can trust for reliably low prices. Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for listening today. I am your host, Jack Bushman. Be sure to check out my personal Twitter page at JackBushman2 and my Blackhawks Twitter page at Talkin' Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. Also, be sure to subscribe and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free wherever you listen to your podcasts and also on Twitter to get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each day. So we just wrapped up talking about all of the latest news regarding the potential return of hockey. Now let's move on to our weekly Mailbag Monday segment 
where I answer some questions from a few lucky LOB listeners out there. The first question I want to answer comes from consistent listener Jake Golden, who asked me on Twitter, who do you predict the NHL Seattle team to take from the Blackhawks in the expansion draft? And outside of the players with NMCs, who should the Blackhawks protect slash leave unprotected and why? So a very good question here, Jake. Thanks for taking the time to ask the question. And thanks again for always listening to the podcast. Although the expansion draft is still a full year away, it has been on a lot of people's minds lately, and rightfully so with no hockey going on. So, to start this off, I think it's important to break down the rules of this expansion draft, which is conveniently following the same guidelines as the Vegas draft from a few years ago. How teams can protect their players is either with the 7 forwards, 3 defensemen, 1 goaltender method, or they can choose 8 skaters overall with 1 goaltender as well. All first and second year NHL players plus all unsigned draft choices will be exempt from selection and won't be counted towards the protection limits. But all players with no movement clauses at the time of the draft, unless they uh, decide to waive those clauses, must be protected and will be counted against the team's protection limit. Now, looking at the Blackhawks' current full no movement clauses, they already have Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, and Brent Seabrook, so at the moment, the Blackhawks have four no-movement clauses, two at the forward position, and two back on defense. It's nice that most of the young guys like Kirby Doc, Adam Boquist, Dominic Kubelik, Alex Nylander, etc., it's nice that those guys won't have to be protected because if this expansion draft was one year in the future and the Blackhawks had to protect a couple more of those guys, it would really put them in a lot tougher of a position. But... Looking at how the Blackhawks probably want to line things up, I'm guessing that they'd go with the four forwards and four defensemen route because of all the value that they have on the back end and the limited depth that they have at the forward position. If they go with the four forwards route, that would likely mean protecting Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Alex DeBrinkett, and Dylan Strome, assuming that they bring Strome back with an extension this offseason. Right now, that would leave Brandon Saad, Drake Kajula, if they do resign him this offseason as well, Ryan Carpenter, David Kampf, and Zach Smith available, just just to name a few at the forward position. The reason why the Blackhawks likely would want to go with the forward, four defenseman route, though, would be uh, to keep both Connor Murphy and Kelvin DeHaan safe, with the team already having to protect Keith and Seabrook. Now, some of you out there may say, well, can't the Hawks just ask Seabs to waive his no-movement clause? Well, one... The organization respects him a ton and probably would not ask him to do that. And two, why would he ever want to leave Chicago, the city that drafted him so long ago where he's had a ton of success and lived his entire career and raised his kids? I mean, it just doesn't make sense unless maybe it's a terrific situation for one last shot at a Stanley Cup. But unless it's that, he ain't doing it. And it's doubtful that a first-year Seattle team is that ideal situation for Seabrook. Anyways, this would leave Olimata open on the back end for the Blackhawks, who could be a likely candidate to get nabbed by Seattle. As for the Blackhawks' goaltender situation, that is going to change a whole bunch in this upcoming offseason, but assuming that Crawford is gone by this summer or next, I would guess that the Hawks would protect either their next starting guy or projected backup Colin Delia. Overall, I think it just makes a lot more sense for the Blackhawks to go with eight overall skaters rather than protecting seven forwards, because that just wouldn't be smart given their current roster makeup. And protecting both Murphy and DeHaan for the future is pretty essential if you ask me. So, in order to do that, 
The eight-skater route sounds like the move for the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, as for the players that Seattle could take from the Hawks in the expansion draft, I would probably guess that it'll either be Brandon Saad, if he's still around at that point, Ryan Carpenter, Andrew Shaw, Ole Mata, or Colin Delia. Saad would make a lot of sense as a strong top-line wing option for Seattle, but he will be a pending free agent just a few weeks after the expansion draft, so that could be a risky move unless they know for sure that he will sign there. Ryan Carpenter could be a solid depth add for a team trying to find those pieces like Seattle, and for a cheap one mil per year, he certainly makes a lot of sense for what he provides to a team. One of those players that can help good teams become great with what he provides in a bottom six role. If Seattle is looking to add to their back end, though, Olimata will almost certainly be available if the Blackhawks don't already buy him out this summer. Now, he's a bit expensive, though, at $4 million for a fourth or fifth defenseman, but he has playoff experience with two Stanley Cups, and honestly, you could do worse than him on your second pairing in your first year as a franchise. The other option could be for Seattle to take a goalie from the Hawks, which could be in play if they re-sign Crawford and choose to protect him, or if they protect the goalie I expect them to sign this summer. If either of those are the case, Delia could be up for grabs in the expansion draft, and young goaltenders with potential don't come around too often. And Seattle has to take three of them in the draft, so Colin Delia could be a potential fit if they want to go that route. With this still being a year away, though, it's hard to say exactly which one of these guys I think Seattle will select, but Jake, there are a few options there for the Blackhawks, so I hope that completely answered your question, buddy. Alright, the second question that I want to answer comes from Greg Fisher, who emailed in his question today, which was, What do you think the Blackhawks would have done had Marion Hossa not been forced to retire following the 2016-17 season? So, another really good question here. Greg, thanks for taking the time to email in the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. And to answer your question... I honestly don't know if Hosa would have made that much of a difference that year or in the following years because although I know he still had 26 goals and 45 points in his final year and he still had plenty of gas in the tank, with the Hawks trading away Panarin and Jalmerson that summer and Crawford's concussion coming that, fo that following season, I don't know if having Marion Hosa would have put the Blackhawks back in the postseason yet again. I mean... Maybe reestablishing that top line of Saad, Taze, and Hosa like the team originally had planned could have changed things, but I don't know. The defense was still horrendous at that point, so I just don't think that he single-handedly would have made that much of a difference and brought the Blackhawks out of their 33-39-10 and 10 rut in the 2017-18 season. That team, although, did have some potential up front with Taze, Kane, Saad, Anisimov, Ryan Hartman, throwback name there, uh, a young Nick Schmaltz and a young Alex Dabrinkit. But looking at the defense, it, it just was not there. The team did still have Keith and Seabrook, but looking at the rest, we had Connor Murphy, Jan Ruda, Jordan Osterley, and Michael Kempney. So not exactly a playoff caliber defense there in 2018. So as much as Hosa could have been a force up front still for the Blackhawks, even at his old age... I don't think he would have helped either the 2017-18 or the 2018-19 teams reach the postseason. But good question there, Greg. Thank you again for asking. All right, so I think that is going to take care of today's Mailbag Monday segment. Now it's time to move on to our new daily segment here on the podcast, 
which is regular season recap, where I give a brief recap of one of the Blackhawks players' 2019-20 regular seasons, just as a bit of a refresher on how they did this year before the best of five playing series against the Edmonton Oilers. Jack Bushman, your host of the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. You can reach me on Twitter at JackBushman2 or at TalkinHockey, or you can also email the Lockdown Blackhawks email, which is LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com for any questions regarding the Blackhawks, myself, or simply just life in general. Okay, so we've just finished our weekly Mailbag Monday segment with a couple of really solid fan questions. Now it's time for our daily regular season recap segment, with today's feature being Blackhawks 27-year-old shutdown defenseman Connor Murphy. So Murphy was obviously acquired by the Blackhawks in exchange for fan favorite Nicholas Jalmerson in the summer of 2017, which I think hurt Murphy's rep a little bit when he first came over from Arizona, but... I think the more and more that Blackhawks fans see of this guy, the more and more that they will begin to like him, and we saw more of that appreciation for Murphy after a pretty solid 2019-20 regular season this year. So, Murphy did unfortunately miss some time again this season, as he has been injury-plagued a bit throughout his professional career, but being a physical and shot-blocking defenseman, those kind of things can happen in hockey. So, yes... Murphy did miss some time in early De- in early November, excuse me, but in total, Murphy played in 58 of the Blackhawks' 70 games this season, recording 5 goals and 14 assists for a career-high 19 points, while also averaging a career-high in time on ice at 21 minutes and 15 seconds per game, which is almost a minute higher than his previous career-high, which came 3 years ago in Arizona. Murphy also recorded 236 total shot attempts, which was on pace for a new career high had we finished the regular season. So, it was actually a strong offensive year from Murphy, as we saw him score a nice couple of goals, and he was definitely a bit more involved in the offensive zone than he's been in the past, which was really a nice surprise to see. Also, per usual, it was another strong showing for Murphy in his own zone in 2019-20, leading the Blackhawks in hits with 128 and in block shots with 138. Those 138 block shots were good for 10th most in the NHL this season as well, and Murphy missed 13 contests, so that's quite impressive. He was a shot-blocking machine for the Hawks this year when healthy, averaging nearly 3 a game. Looking at Murphy's possession numbers quickly, he actually had the third highest Corsi percentage of his seven years at 49.6%, which is quite impressive for all the things the Blackhawks asked him to do with a 54.5 defensive zone start percentage this season. Murphy was also on the ice for 54 goals for to 53 goals against at even strength, so not bad for a key defensive piece on a poor defensive team overall. When Murphy's on the ice for the Blackhawks, they have a good chance at playing solid defensive hockey, which gives them a much better chance to win. With a defensive-minded guy like Murphy, it's always hard to pick out a top performance on the season, but I would have to go with one of two games, the first being the Blackhawks' 4-3 OT win versus a strong Bruins squad in Boston back in February. That night, Murphy picked up two assists, including the primary on Jonathan Taze's overtime winner, and was plus two along with one hit and one block in 22 minutes against one of the best in the business. 
Another one that really stood out that I remember being a strong game for Murphy at the time, actually, was his game about a month later against the Winnipeg Jets, where he tallied two assists, was plus two, along with six blocks, four shots on goal, and three hits in a whopping 23 minutes and 51 seconds. Just a mammoth stat stuffer that night for Murphy in a Blackhawks 5-2 win at the United Center. So, all in all, Connor Murphy really took another step in the right direction in 2019-20, establishing himself as arguably the team's top defenseman, while also inserting himself as a piece of the Blackhawks' top four on the back end going forward. If the Blackhawks do wind up taking on the Edmonton Oilers in the best-of-five playing series here in a few weeks, then I think it would be wise for coach Jeremy Colleton to place his top two shutdown defensemen together in order to try and stop Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. That is Connor, Mc... Connor McDavid. That is Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan, as I really think those two together are the Blackhawks' best chance at slowing down the high-powered Oilers offense. Alright, so I think that is going to wrap up Connor Murphy's regular season recap and also Mailbag Monday, July 6th episode of Locked on Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show. And as always, make sure to give the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter page a follow at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks. Also, be sure to subscribe and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode of the podcast as soon as it's out each day. And after the show, ask your smart device to play the Lockdown NHL podcast for all the latest news about a potential return to hockey in the next few weeks. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. I am your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or my Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey. That's capital T-A-L-K-I-N, capital H-A-W-K-E-Y. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com or call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you again for listening.